There should be outlines on the tables in front of you and pens if you need them. And open your Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis, the fifth chapter. As we continue our journey through Genesis, I think we're making great speed to have gotten to chapter five. <clears throat> I know that's a matter of opinion. Uh, they did turn on the scoreboard today. If you notice right over there, any moment the clock is going to start running, which is supposed to be uh, the, to remind me to stop. Honestly, I have no idea why the scoreboard's on, but anyway, as long as it doesn't buzz in a minute, that'll be okay. All right, um, we left off last time. You see the top division is population explosion, and we started reading about that beginning with verse uh, 17 in chapter 4. We'd already looked at, at, the, at, at Cain and Abel, and so we come to chapter 5 now, and that's that's where we're going to start hopefully get to chapter 6 in in a few minutes. So let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for giving us a beautiful, beautiful morning. We are very, very grateful. Thank you for the moisture. We anticipate more and we'll be grateful when it comes. We thank you for the good fellowship that we've enjoyed together, the the delicious food. We just uh, appreciate so much your provision for us. And we thank you most of all above everything else, for Jesus, our precious Savior and Lord. Thank you for His death on the cross, His glorious resurrection. Thank you for the precious Word of God, and I pray that you will speak to us today as we continue our series in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Thank you for all who've come. Bless each one and their families. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so we are at chapter 5. I'm going to read the first two verses. Um, it's a, this, these first two verses are an introduction of the Sethite generation. Remember, we talked briefly last time about Seth, the child born to Adam and Eve. Uh, we often call him the replacement for Abel, even though we know there is no such thing as a replacement for a child who dies. But nevertheless, Eve and Adam were very thankful because Cain, of course, has been banished. And uh, so if there's going to continue to be uh, the generations that follow and, and any sense of godliness in the earth, they're going to need to have more children. So they do, and Seth is the first one. So now let's look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created man, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them, male and female, and blessed them, and he named them man, or Adam, or Adam, when they were created. So we'll stop there for a moment. Notice again, this is not the first time we've seen this term, but but it reminds us that God created Man in the image of God or in the likeness of God. That reminds us of chapter 1 verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So we are created in the image of God, in his image and the fall, the sin of Adam and Eve, the fall of man did not obliterate the image of God in man. Now, as image bearers of God, 
there are at least three things that I want to say about that. I mean, there probably are a hundred things, but let me just say three things that are pretty pertinent to what we're looking at in the book of Genesis. First of all, as image bearers, man can hear God's word. It's very important. As image bearers, man can hear God's word. Number two, as image bearers, man is charged with ruling the earth. It's the responsibility God entrusted first to Adam and Eve and then to all who follow them. As image bearers, man is charged with ruling the earth. Number three, as image bearers, man has the possibility of an intimate spiritual relationship with God. I'll I'll say that again. As image bearers, man has the possibility of an intimate spiritual relationship with God. And that kind of relationship we know is available to each of us through God's Son, Jesus Christ. We know that Adam and Eve had a, a close, intimate relationship with God prior to the fall. They would meet Him in the garden daily and hear His voice and fellowship with Him. The fall, of course, changed all that. But we know that as God's as image bearers, we, we can have a personal, intimate relationship with God. In verse 2, we read of His blessing. So verse 1, verse 1 reminds us of His image. We are created in the image of God. And number 2 reminds us of His blessing, a reminder of God's blessing. He created them, male and female, and blessed them. And He named them Adam, Adam, man, when they were created. So we're reminded of God's blessing. So the Sethites, going through the line of Seth, the Sethites are to multiply and fill the earth. And the genealogy that we are about to look at in chapter 5 tells us that they did exactly that. They did multiply and they multiplied greatly. Now this chapter gives us um, a ten generation structure. In other words, there are ten generations listed here. There are gaps in between. It is a selective genealogy and it shows us a substantial increase in population. When we get to chapter 11, we're going to have another ten generation genealogy. And then if you keep going... Uh, and you get to the book of Ruth in the fourth chapter, you're going to get another ten-generation genealogy. And you know when you get to the New Testament, we find the significant genealogies that are listed in Matthew and Luke. So we'll not go there today, but that's just to remind you of the genealogy that's listed here is important. What's our natural inclination uh, when we come to one of the genealogy passages of the Scripture? What's our just our natural inclination? Skip it. Yep, there's nothing there that interests me, so let's just skip over it. And I understand that. Uh, I've been there and I've done that. I've looked and I've said, moving on, moving on. But um, 
We're going to actually take time to look at this, not in tremendous detail, because we do want to finish Genesis before Jesus comes again, but um, we do want to look at the verses. So this is an amazing um, longevity. We, we, we see in the chapter amazing longevity and rapid multiplication. Now, we, we are all amazed at the length of life uh, of the of the people who are named here. So let's let's start with verse 3. And I'm going to keep reading, so follow with me. The You know, the other problem with reading the genealogies is reading them out loud. <laughs> it's one thing to read it to yourself. It's another thing when people are watching and listening in here. So bear with me as I perhaps may butcher a few of these. All right, verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years. He had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, after Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Although Adam lived a, altogether Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. After he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years, and then he died. Verse 9. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. Now, compared to to, to Seth and to Adam, uh, Enosh was having kids awfully young (laughs) at 90. So... After he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 905 years, and then he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, as even younger, he became the father of Mahalalel. Mahalalel. Now, that may not be right, but my guess is outside of Dr. Kemp or Dr. Davis, nobody in the room knows it. So, <clears throat> and they're not telling. So, after he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Although altogether Kenan lived a total of 910 years and then he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. After he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived a total of 895 years, then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years and then he died. Now, I want you to skip forward to verse 25. We will come back to Enoch in a minute, but we're going to skip forward to verse 25. Guess who's next? When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. After he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years and then he died. And of course, all the people in Scripture who are named and their their lifespan given, Methuselah is the oldest when he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah. 
and said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord is cursed. Something is interesting. I don't know totally what it means. But all this listed here, and if you go back to chapter 4 and the Cainite genealogy, only two men actually have anything to say. Both times it's a man named Lamech. Isn't that interesting? You remember uh, Lamech, the, the, the uh, admirer of violence in chapter 4? It was very different words with this, with this Lamech. As he speaks of Noah, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. We've got a lot to look at with Noah. Now, after Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. And although Lamech lived a total of, altogether Lamech lived a total of 777 years, and then he died. Seven, seven, seven. What, remember, how many of you were here in Revelation? Remember the number seven? What number is that? Perfect number, seven, seven, seven. That's interesting. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. All right, we'll stop there. We'll get back to Enoch in a minute. Um, there's great optimism here in the in these verses. Uh, thousands of offspring are are being born, people to whom are past the imago day, that is the image of God. Population is growing rapidly. Are they all sinners? Yes. But are they able to hear God's word? Yes. Are they able to rule and subdue the earth? Yes. Are they able to have a relationship with God? Yes. All those three things that we talked about a few moments ago. But after each name, we reach a point where it says, and he died. It's a reminder of the fall and the curse. And he died. Adam lived 930 years, Seth 912, Enosh 905, Methuselah 969, but they all died without exception. Now, that causes us to go back and talk about one whom God took who did not go through death. And who was that? Enoch. So let's go back to verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah, And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years, considerably less than most of the other names in this text. Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. Now, you probably heard it said that one day Enoch and God were walking side by side and Enoch, God said to Enoch, Enoch, we're closer to my house than we are to yours. Just come on home with me. And the picture of that is that Enoch had such an intimate walk with God that truly in his heart he was closer to being with God than he was to being in his own home. So God, God took him. 
Now, this is not the Enoch of chapter 4. That was Cain's line in chapter 4. This is Seth's lineage. So this is a different Enoch. Uh, the seventh name in chapter 4 in Cain's lineage is Lamech. The seventh name in chapter 5 in Seth's lineage is Lamech. Isn't that interesting how God does that? The Lamech of chapter 4 worshipped the sword. He's a violent man. The Enoch of chapter 7 walked with God. What an amazing contrast. Men of the same name, seventh in the lineage of their, of their ancestors, and yet their lifestyle was very, very, very different. The only other person in Scripture of whom it is said he walked with God was a name that we've already been introduced to just a moment ago, Noah. Noah. It also says of Noah that he walked with God. And the picture in the Hebrew text is literally a person walking side by side with God. Such was the intimacy of their fellowship with one another. Wow. Well, let me take you to Hebrews for a moment because we're not quite done with Brother Enoch. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, we get a little more light. Isn't it nice that we have the New Testament to give us more light on a lot of things? But look at verse 5, or listen to verse 5 in Hebrews 11. By faith... Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. Now, you could read it in Genesis 5 and say, well, what did happen there? Well, Hebrews tells you he didn't die. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So in the Faith Hall of Fame, chapter 11 of Hebrews, we find Enoch. Enoch has a faith that pleases God. He believes that God is and he believes that God rewards those who seek Him And the scripture tells us that God took Enoch at the ripe age of 365. How did he take him? Well, that's all the information the Bible gives us. Maybe it was something like Elijah, because there's another one that God took. 2 Kings chapter 2, here's how it happened with Elijah. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Elijah and Elisha are walking together on the road. Elisha is the successor of Elijah. And as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. That is Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. 
Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. And it goes on to tell us what else Elisha did. But the point I'm trying to make here is the way in which God took Elijah. And I, all I know to say is, what a way to go. My goodness. What a way to go. Uh, I think one thing that in our hearts causes us to have a longing for the return of Christ is to know that if if he were to return in our time, that we wouldn't have to go through death, go to be with him. That'd be wonderful. I'd much prefer that than whatever may happen with death. Well, Elijah was spared death, and so was Enoch. So it brings me to this question. It's, all of this is more than just head knowledge and historical information. Uh, how, how do we walk with God? What is our walk with God? And, and how do you walk with God? I mean, what do you have to do to walk with God? Well, we know that the foundation of a walk with God begins with trusting His Son Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And having done that, then to walk with Him comes uh, with an attitude of, a constant attitude of prayer. Um, I used to say, and I can't say it anymore because with cell phones these days, the younger generation doesn't know what you're talking about when you talk about long distance calls. But, but we remember that. You know, we used to make long distance calls from our landline phones and, uh, the, the talk was always have such an intimate walk with God that it's not a long-distance call to talk to Him. It's as if He were right by your side, because He is. And then we immerse ourselves in Scripture to learn everything we can and to allow the Spirit to speak to us through Scripture and, and, and a commitment in advance to obey. If we want an intimate walk with God, then certainly prayer and scripture, but also it is that we say to God, whatever it is that you tell me to do is not open for debate. I will do it. I will obey you. So when I read in your word what you want me to do, there's no debate. I'm going to do it. When I know what you want me to do, I will do it. Those are the foundations of an intimate walk with God. The long age of these patriarchs is uh, is astonishing. Uh, now, all people go through all kind of gymnastics to try to figure it out. How did how did that happen? Why did they live so long and we don't live that long? And things have been written about the changes in the earth and the changes in diet and and all that. You know, I, you can you go on and beat yourself over the head trying to figure that one out for the rest of your life if you want to. I just say, wow, I, I, I believe it, I accept it, and hallelujah, Let, let's, let's move on. It says Methuselah lived 969 years, I believe it. I believe that firmly with each of the ages. But the scripture tells us that in chapter 6, where we're going now, that, that's going, that that changes. What is it that brings about the change? The sin of man. 
Now remember, sometimes folks say, boy, wouldn't it be something to live to 969 years? I don't know about that. (laughs) But remember this. God created man to live forever. So when you think about that, even the 969 years of Methuselah isn't very long. God's intention for Adam and Eve was, you'll live forever. But then came the fall and sin and death. Well, um, okay, let's look at chapter 6. How much time do we have? We have almost no time, but we're going to get started. I want us to notice sin and grace in chapter 6, verse 1 through 8, real quickly. Um, When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. Aha! There's the first reduction. We go from the 800s and the 900s to 120. And that will get shorter yet to come. Look at verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that He had made human beings on the earth and His heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, you look at what God's saying in that conjunction, but, really important, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is, this, these eight verses, this is a sobering passage. The pre-flood culture made a headlong plunge into depravity. And in the first four verses, we find human degeneration. Those verses record the generation, uh, the degeneration of the primeval culture. And there are three things that we notice there, and I'm going to stop with those three because we're out of time. This is an interesting passage. Not everybody agrees on how to interpret it. So we'll tell you next time the right way. No, <laughs> I'll share with you my thinking, and then you can do what you want to with it. Okay, here are three things in this human degeneration. Marriage is demonized. Life is shortened. And violence is idolized. Hmm. Marriage is demonized. When was this? Yesterday? Marriage is demonized. Life is shortened. Violence is idolized. Notice the violence is idolized. Passage talks, as we go on, the passage talks about the great heroes of renown, violent, powerful men, So we're going to get to all that next time. And really, it sounds a lot like 
today. Uh, you look at the television or movies, and you often see them filled with marriage being degraded, demonized, and violence being idolized. So we'll come back to that next time. This is an interesting passage of Scripture, so I'll present at least a couple of ways that you can look at it and then tell you which one I think is right, and you can decide for yourself what do you, whatever you think. But we'll pick up right there uh, one week from today. Father, thank you for, um, for, for your word. And Father, even in the midst of reading about the degradation of, of man, we read about grace because we see that note of grace that Noah pleased the Lord. And we know that because of that, you chose to exercise grace upon the race. And Father, we're grateful. So bless us now as we go from here. May we live for you, share Christ with others. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. See you next week.